Amen. We certainly do thank God for her. We thank God for all the leaders, elders, everyone in their rightful place. We're going to start our discussion. I am extremely excited tonight. I'm going to introduce the panel. I'm going to explain to you where this came from, and then we're going to get started, right? So in this order, I want you guys to welcome the pastor of Hungry for God Ministries, Pastor Vernell Samuels is coming at this time. Come on, make some noise for him. Come on, do better than that. Do better than that. From New Day Christian Center, under the great leadership of our state bishop, Bishop Julius Sloan. Can we help welcome Elder Andrew Wilkins at this time? My brother, the pastor, senior pastor, lead pastor of the city of Oasis. Right? I'm right, right? I know. Can you help me welcome Pastor Jonathan Mack at this time? Our national youth president, who is now a member of the Father Church. We certainly do thank God for her. Can you help me welcome Minister Christian Belton? This woman, I know she's like looking around like, why am I on this panel? <laughs> but this young lady has such a word in her mouth. She is a little sister. She is a tremendous leader. She was recently the, pres the young women's president. She got married, so they fired her. But we're going to use her, and we're going we're gonna to pull on her gift. Can you help me welcome Sister Courtney Lawrence? Yeah. All right, Jay, you up there? All right, I need us to all do something. This, this conversation, um, I believe God really ordained this night, and I believe that this conversation is necessary for the time, um, and I want to make sure that the word gets out. So we're going to put up our Facebook page right now. We are live via Facebook. Hi, Facebook. Everybody say hi, Facebook. <laughs> so I want everybody to go to our page, Pilgrim Fresh Fire Youth Church. We are streaming live right now. Those of you who are watching us, welcome. Feel free to participate in the discussion. Drop those likes, drop those shares. I want everybody sitting in the audience right now, please help me share out this page, share out this live, so that we can make sure that this conversation helps someone beside the people who are sitting in the four walls. We have our family from East New York, Pilgrim Church of East New York here with us. Can you give them a round of applause? Thank you guys so much for supporting. Our Instagram page is going up right now. Those of you who don't follow us on Instagram, it's at Pilgrim Fresh Fire. You, at Pilgrim Fresh Fire. Please take a second and follow us. I'm doing this. I want you guys to understand. We're going to talk about the millennial church. Um, and social media is key in the millennial church. And it's very necessary. It's a very useful tool. Useful tool. We had a young lady who um, spoke, uh, I think it was last, last two weeks ago, who said she was happy just to be on Facebook. Someone shared out our video, um, and she hasn't missed a single service since that share, and it was almost a year ago, right? So she, she, she takes two trains from Harlem every other Friday to make sure she's here. I'm telling you, there is power in social media. So we want to make sure that we're doing that. Thank you guys for sharing. The Fresh Fire Youth Church is on Facebook. We should be also streaming now from the Pilgrim Church page. I'm sure it's shared on there by now. So those of you who don't see it on Fresh Fire, you can go right to the Pilgrim underscore church, and you can share it from there. 
Thank you so much. All right, so we're going to start our conversation. Um, my brother Tim is going to also help me to um, facilitate tonight. Everybody knows he's a social media king. So he's about to propel us to like 20,000 views right now. <laughs> so Tim is coming. He's going to help us out tonight also. Um, I want you to, to feel free. I want you to be comfortable. Um, don't worry about the crowd. Don't worry about who's here. It's just I think this is a necessary conversation. And I want us to get some answers. I want us to get some honest talk going on, some honest dialogue. Um, so this, this topic was birthed in me not that long ago because I um, was watching. It was almost a year ago. I was watching someone on live. They were having a discussion. And um, someone, a generational leader, I mean, like someone with mad experience, said that he thinks, I think the problem with the millennial church and these young folk is they don't want to be pastored. And everybody, the whole room erupted in agreement. And I was watching and I was just like, wow. And then someone stood up. One person in the crowd stood up and said, I don't think that the millennial church, their issue is being pastored. I think their issue is being abused. And I, I figured, he said that we need to have a, a decent conversation about leadership and about what's necessary. Um, I, I, I didn't agree or disagree with anything going on, but... My, my, what came from, to me for that was we need to have a, a chance for the millennial voice to get out. Um, what are we thinking? Why do we do church the way we do church? Um, so I want to open with this question to the panel. I'm going to ask each of you to take a shot at it. The mic is, is it on? So I, I chose these people in particular because um, I don't know Pastor Samuels, but I watch Pastor Samuels. I'm on all his social media, and he is a tremendous leader. Um, there is such a relevant word. Like, don't look for him to preach like an old Baptist. He, he just is so relevant, so down to earth, and it, it grabbed my attention. Um, all of these people up here, I, I knew that they would be the perfect panel because they have um, just their own style and their own confidence. So that's why I wanted to make sure we had these people tonight. I want to go around the table. And I want to I wanna ask you guys, when it comes to millennial church, how would you describe the millennial church as you see it? Not like the age. We know the ages. But when it comes to the millennial church in your eyes, what, how would you describe it? Who has the mic? <laughs> Chris, let's start with you. say that they're often misunderstood um, if I had to describe the millennial church I think uh, it's not what people are used to and so therefore um, we're misunderstood by how we look uh, by how we praise um, and then sometimes you have a lot of millennials are radical and in some places that's considered trying to be seen and then you have some who are very reserved and then they're probably labeled as uh, non-expressive and so I think we're often just misunderstood. So you would describe the millennial church as being misunderstood. All right, that's, that's excellent. Pastor Matt. Put my mic this way. Um, <laughs> so I guess my answer tonight might seem a little strange from the standpoint of being 29. Um, and I say that because I've always struggled with this millennial church idea, um, and I think I'm more so on the opposing side. Um, 
like when I was listening to you speak, I think that every generation, every time period has those who seem radical, those who seem whatever. Um, but then when I take a look at the millennial church and different services I view or may attend, they like to do the same things that have already been done. They like to dance. They like to shout. They like certain aspects of church. So I don't find much differences in that. Um, I just find that the millennial church, to me, seems to, I guess, buck against the system okay. that has already been established. Okay. And I don't find many things wrong with the system. I think there's things wrong in every context. There's always going to be something wrong with humans. Um, but I feel like the millennial church wants to foster, and I'll use this term, which is usually used positively, but they want to foster a paradigm shift that doesn't necessarily need to take place, or they want it in a place of their discomfort, but their discomfort is not always something that's wrong with the church. Um, so I think the millennial church has become, as I was talking to a friend earlier, a very hypersensitive church okay. um, that now finds problems with everything that okay. don't really go with their view. Okay. So we got, we got hypersensitive, we got misunderstood, Okay. That's me. Um, I guess I would take the middle ground and say that I find the millennial church to be an interesting dichotomy. I feel like it's a church uh, where there are two um, separate but equal truths, um, where there is a lot of potential in the millennial church. Um, I think um, uh, when we look at the church's past, a lot, of thing, a lot of things were swept under the rug. A lot of things we called salvation that wasn't, a lot of things we called deliverance that wasn't, a lot of problems we left unspoken and undealt with, and I feel that uh, if any generation was in a position to actually um, address things heads on, head on and not uh, just throw religious rhetoric over it, that would be the millennial church. But at the same time, um, this is probably the most self-indulged church, and w when you take it back to um, there were certain things, we, we're, the we're the church that I would say that throws out the baby with the bathwater. And so we, we've taken the, those things that we didn't like about, I would say, the previous generation, those things that which probably need to change, need to go, but we've taken those good things and those substantive things as well and have thrown them out. And so that has made uh, the millennial church a rather helter-skelter. Uh, we don't have substance, we don't have um, the faithfulness of the old church. We don't have the perseverance of the old church. Um, and we don't have the the humility of the old church, um, possibly because uh, we're so tech savvy. Um, everything is a Google search away. Um, we can know, we have all this information at our fingertips, but there's certain things that have to be lived, um, certain things that have to be walked out, and you have to give credit for those who have done that already, and I don't think we do. Um, so I feel like we're, um, at the same time, we're great, is at the same time, we're sorely lacking, if that okay. makes sense. Okay. Pastor? Um, in my opinion, I agree with, with everyone. Um, and just to add, I think, for me, I look at it from the standpoint of the world. The world has changed. And so, because the world has changed, and not just in a you know, in a, like a simple way, like we, the world has radically changed, especially in the past 20 years, 30 years, with the World Wide Web being invented. Right, exactly. 
So the world is more, is more, it's not the same world we were in 30, 40 years ago. The church, the world that our parents grew up in is not the same world the millennial generation is growing up in. The world is more connected. Um, everyone has a voice because of technology. Everyone is more connected, more informed, more involved. The world is now, the world has kind of like evened the playing field a little bit because again, the knowledge that only a select few ones have is now accessible to the world. So everything has changed and I think our, now the, this, our generation and the generation that's after us, they are, they are living in a world where it's not hard for them to find answers to questions. They don't have to come to us like right. they used to. Right. You know what I'm saying? So I feel like the way the world has turned, um, the global changes demand the church to change as well. And I think that's where the, the uh, battle begins because our young people and our, and our generation is coming in already ready to challenge things because that's just the norm of the world we're living in today. The question is, are we willing to have these conversations? And that's why this is important. We wanna have these conversations so that we can actually bring light to or make sense of what is it that we are saying is the, you know, the, um, the core elements of our ancient faith. How does it make sense today? Is it still relevant? And unless we can answer those questions in ways and in terms that our generation understands, they're not gonna be interested. So I think that's the, that's the uh, fight right now. Yeah, I, I would definitely classify it as a fight. Um, all right, Court, go ahead. Um, to add to all of that, I would say that they are observant. Um, everything is why. Um, it's kind of confused with rebellion or just going against it. I think they're like innocently inquisitive. They just want to know why. Why can't I go? Um, you find a lot of, I know young women, well, this one is in a relationship. Why am I not in a relationship? This one found someone. Why can't I find, find someone? Um, and then on the flip side, they're absorbent. Um, everything is goals. Um, and if you're not confused, I think that's where some lose their identity because they're so observant, they love it and they want it, but they don't take any time to, I guess, so much comparison going on. Yeah, that's, that's a generation. I, I find that, um, and I'll pass it to Tim, is I find that one of the biggest issues we're having um, is, is seems to me, and this is just me, to be a battle of generations. Um, I find it to be difficult to say that that there's no difference between the way we had church 30 years ago, um, because I do think the methods have changed, and I think that change is something that really frightens people, um, because it can be misinterpreted as as um, too much. And oftentimes, I think that people are looking at the way young people have church or the way youth have church, and I think they're saying it's just too much. Um, one of the things that I came across today as I was doing research was this, this, this statistic really bothered me. It said 59% of people who grew up in church have left church. Like, I'm not talking about you ain't never heard God. I'm, I'm talking about the people who were born on the pews. Not like born on the pews, but you know. Like, you know the people that's been in church, Sunday school, every class, and, and they've just dropped religion. They've dropped and it has nothing to do with God. But a lot of them are saying they feel, strangely enough, misunderstood. And it matters 
So, like, we can't just shrug it off as, as a spirit of disobedience or rebellion, but we've got to really, really value the next generation. So, so as, as leaders, what do we do? What's next for us? I will say, I'm, and I'm speaking again from my, just my experience. Um, I started like, like no, our church started as a Bible study that started like 10 years ago. Um, so at the time when I was starting to hear about the term millennial and people were putting out these numbers about young people leaving the church, um, I was 23 and I was leading a movement where I was seeing young people coming. Okay. So. What was different? Like, why is it that these same people who were leaving the church was coming to this, this Bible study that was going on? And so I started just assessing it, like, so what's, what is it, what's different about this? You know, for example, it wasn't on a Sunday. It was on a Monday. Um, people didn't have to dress any way. They came however they wanted. They invited whoever they wanted. There was no pressure. There was no hassle. There was nobody calling anybody to see who, who was coming or not. There was just a free atmosphere um, where there was no um, pressure. No one was forced to be there. Um, so I started realizing you know, a lot of the different elements, but I think the first thing we need to do was, what we did, I feel like what was working was the fact that we just, it was just like I was offering Jesus to people. And I think like we need to just get back to that. I found that people don't, it's not that people are against Jesus. The same people who 59% that left the church, they love Jesus. So true, so true. Right? But I feel like what people are tired of is the culture that we have created in church that we present as Jesus. So what's a, a culture is a way of life. It's the way we do things. And I feel like we mask our church culture and call it Jesus. So the way we dress, the way we talk, the way we dance, we say, this is Jesus. And if you don't do it this way, you don't love Jesus. That's the problem. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth and the life, right? Culture is a way of life. So <laughs> we can confuse our culture as our way of doing things, our life, and say that's Jesus. And if people sense that that's what's going on, as millennial generation, they're walking away from that. I feel like they just want to get Jesus again. That's where we got to start. We got to find a way to break through culture, break away from our church culture. Um, and, 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 and I want to I I say that respectfully because every church has its own culture. So there might be a culture that that same person may like in a church, right? You go to like check out the Hillsong churches or the, or the hipster churches. They wear ripped jeans, they wear, they got tattoos, they do all that. That's a culture, but somebody who doesn't want to come to a typical, you know, Baptist church where everybody wears suits and ties, they may go to that church, right? Because they like the culture, number one, but then number two, we both offer in Jesus, right? The Baptist church, I hope, hope so, right? The Baptist church, the hipster church, wherever it is, but we also understand there are some cultures you might prefer. I might want to shout. They don't shout there. I want to shout, right? But that's not Jesus. And I, like, we just got to dissect that and make sure we understand that what we're offering is Jesus and a culture. 
and we can't mix the two. What do y'all think about the idea of breaking the curse? Um, well, in terms of breaking the culture, um, I'm, I'm glad you asked that because I wanted to I wanted to piggyback off of that a little bit because every church is not um, every church can't be you can only be what you are, uh, and you have to be uh, the culture in, in which you are, and everyone isn't going to um, necessarily change or adjust into becoming like you know a, a hipster culture or rip jean culture, and that's fine because every culture has its merit and it, it offers something it brings something and it's for someone. However, I think no matter what culture your particular local assembly embraces, um, it needs to be, A, it needs to be clear that it's disconnected from one's relationship with Christ. So yes, this is how we do this over here, but this has nothing to do with whether or not Jesus loves you or not. This has nothing to do with whether or not you're saved or delivered or not. This has nothing to do with that. This is just the protocol of this house. It's how we keep order here, and this is how we function here. Just like your home has its set of culture or a set of you know rules and things that you do, um, and every church, especially um, churches that have more traditional culture, that is the Baptist church with the suits, that is a church with um, high um, ecclesiastical order and you know vestments and all that type of stuff. It's very, uh, it's incumbent upon that church and the leadership of that church to be patient with whomever comes through those doors through the socialization process. Everything is a socialization process. Anytime you come from a different type of culture or a different type of perspective or a different social location in life, when you get to another location, there has to be a leeway time or a time where we allow for you to be socialized and to learn what this is all about. Uh, we can't be, you know, trying to throw sheets on you every time because we feel like you're dressed inappropriately. Give me a chance to learn with this new culture. Even in our walk with Christ, even biblically, there's a socialization process. That's called sanctification. And so we have to give people time, regardless of what your culture is, to acclimate to a new life and to not just uh, be ready to for, you know, foster all these rules and make them feel ostracized because they don't look the part because they're just now learning this. Yeah, when I was listening to both of you speak now, on um, what was coming across my mind, especially while you were speaking, was the question if churches are more committed to the mission or the model of church. And I think that um, sometimes as we speak of culture, um, which can go many different ways, but each church, not just the culture, but the model of church. Um, even back in the day, you know, we stayed in church all day. And on a Sunday, especially when services at night can go a certain way, but now people don't want to be in church all that time. Um, so, and we'll commit more to the model of how we function as a church, as opposed to with the changing times, what mission is necessary or what model is necessary for the culture of the time, whereas we can still get the same mission across and keep folks in the church. So I think the churches need to um, just be apt to change, like any good teacher would be apt to change, and the church should be educational in a sense, whereas we are apt to change to make sure that the people are still able to receive the message. And sometimes I think that goes in a way, whereas don't them necessarily, um, with the time that you're in, it doesn't always call for that they're gonna be able to become like how you were, but rather you have to change who you are, not your message, but who you are in order to now fit that particular time. 
if that makes sense. Um, so you might not always be able to go back. Of course, there's certain things that remain the same. You know, there's certain things that you don't. I'm a young church, and we sing hymns every Sunday, and I'm never going to stop singing hymns. And if a young person comes to the church, you're going to learn these hymns. That's me. But I'm also the person who will get up and preach with ripped jeans on. And I have to have an 82-year-old person who's going to have to understand that that's just what I'm going to do. But it does not change the mission. But can they shift their model in order to match the time and still be effective? Can I ask something? Is Christianity, as we see it, are we the only genre of belief that shift models? And the only reason I'm asking this question is because if you go down Fulton Street, and you go through the Jewish neighborhood, you don't see little kids saying, I'm hip-hop, or I'm a gangster, or I, we can't come as we are, but they got the black and white on, and they have an actual identity. Do the millennials have an identity? Because it seems like it's a split, because this is the first time in the history of the church where it's seen as a millennial church. Because before that, what was it? The church. So does the millennial church have an identity? What's the foundation belief of the millennial church? Like, you got the apostolics, you got the Baptists, you got the Catholics, you got, but now we got this millennial church. Who are they? And I'm millennial. I, I think I made it like one year. I'm old. But, so what is that? I just need to know. Because this is the first time I ever heard of a millennial church. But I think that goes back to being misunderstood because when we don't know something, we tend to make it different. We call and we separate ourselves. So I am growing up in church my whole life and now I'm being told, well, y'all are doing something different, but I've been doing something that you taught me my whole life. So because I don't do it the way you think it should be done. Um, my parents came from a generation of where they didn't ask questions. They just did what was told. And so because I asked, well, why can I not do this? You want to classify me as millennial, a millennial when all I'm asking for is a reason. So if someone asks me a question, I can then explain why we do what we do. And I think what happens is um, the, the church, quote, unquote, is afraid when someone asks them a question, which would lead me to believe that, are you even sure you're doing what you're doing? Do you know why you do what you do? Are you really in a relationship with God? Because I think we have confused church with relationship. And so that's why people leave when they grow up in church, because they never really had a relationship with God. They just had church. Right. We had church. But we and, had and so because I went to church every day because mommy and dad, every Sunday because mommy and daddy sent me there, I don't even know if I understand why I should be speaking in tongues or why I should get baptized. I just did it because someone told me to do it. And so my story is I had to get a relationship with God because the other thing, too, we see two different lifestyles when we go home. And so what millennials want is how is this really working for you? They need evidence. They need fruit. And so for years, you've had all these people following Jesus, but they never had any fruit. And that's not everybody. That's just a portion. So I think we separated it when we asked questions. I think it's important to note that the millennial church is not a change of belief, but it's a change of method. So it's not that we don't believe that Jesus is Lord. So it's not, that's not the difference. The difference is we, we don't have to have robes on to, to worship God the way we, we feel. I will never forget the experience of me taking some of my young people to Christ's Tabernacle. And there was a, a young man who was playing bass 
and he had a cap on in the church while he was playing. And when I tell you worship fell so that the young people who were in the pews moved to the floor and were on their knees crying out, the young man put his bass down, got on the floor and started crying out before God. I got in the car all excited, said to the, said to, it was Adrian, I'm, I'm not going to cover him, it was Adrian. I said to Adrian, what did you guys think of the service? He was like, it was all right, but did you see that guy with the hat on? We would never be able to do that. And, and my heart ached because I said, what about the worship? Is God offended by the hat or is he impressed by our worship? And, and I'm not saying for y'all to come in this building with hats on because we must obey the, the rules of our culture and what our, our family has taught us. But, but take Jesus to be more than this vain character where he won't hear you because you have a hat on or because you, you got a tattoo 20 years ago. We don't serve that type of God. And I think that's the confusion. You understand, Pastor Matt, that what you said, and I wholeheartedly agree, but do you know that there's a generation that believes because of something you just said, that that's the church adapting to the world? And, and is the church adapting to the world? Should we be adapting to the world? And I think just even just to piggyback off of what the question he initially uh, posed, like, like you mentioned, the, the Orthodox Jews, they don't change their dressing, right? We don't see this generation changing their dressing to match this, with this time. Um, and I feel like you could say that with, you know, many of the other religions, Islam, whatever. I do believe that, um, like you said, people feel like the world, the church is changing for the world, mm -hmm. etc. Um, just even the word millennial, right? It's not a biblical term. It's not in the Bible, right? Um, so this is a worldly term, a secular term that we're using to describe a generation. I personally am not a fan of it. Um, I feel like there's different layers of millennials too. You know, um, that's another conversation. But I, I, I just want to say, um, G, like again, putting it back to Jesus, right? Jesus never made a big deal about the things. A lot of times in our cultures, we make a big deal out of dressing, style of music. None of that is mentioned in the Gospels, right? What we do see is what did Jesus actually give us a commission to do? Preach the gospel, go into all the world, right? Those are two things, for example, Orthodox Jews, other faiths don't have a responsibility to do. Paul said, I go, I, when I go to Rome, I do as the Romans, right? When I go to other nations, I do as those nations, I do what those nations do in order for me to win them. Other, other faiths don't have the responsibility of evangelism. Christian faith does. And a part of effective evangelism is the ability to enter into different environments and adapt to the culture, not for adapting to the, for the culture's sake, but in order to win them. Because I can't have influence in a culture that I don't relate to, that the people can't relate to me, right? I know of many people, missionaries who go around the world, go to remote areas. And uh, I have a, 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 brother, a, a guy that I know, a mentor I look up to, he's in Africa. And even when he's in Africa, he goes to different tribes and different nations where they've never heard the gospel. And he said, you know, one of the first things they do to test whether or not they're going to receive him, they put food in front of him. Food he doesn't eat. They'll put the fruit, the food in front of him and see if he's going to eat the food. And if he, if he doesn't, if he says, well, I don't eat that, they're not going to hear anything else he has to say. Wow. Right? Wow. 
<laughs> so it's like there ain't food he gonna get <laughs> anywhere else. They could put if he doesn't, he can't say I don't eat pork. He he's gonna eat that he gonna eat that pig they put in front of him, if that's what's gonna open up the door for him to be able to share Christ with them. You see, so the cultures you ha we have to be able to adjust and adapt to any culture if we're gonna win the world based on our commission. And again, other religions don't have that responsibility. Can I play um, the antagonistic role real quick? Um, I, uh, um, because I, I, and I, I agree and I hear what you say, you know, Paul says I become all things to all men that I might win some and I get it. But can we keep it a buck real quick? A lot of us are not evangelistically minded. And, uh, and uh, many of what we want to do is simply because we want to do it. <clears throat> a lot of, uh, I'm sorry. You're saying not to win souls. Yeah. It's yes. not to win souls. It's it, it, and and um, some of us that may be why you know you want to be relevant. But I would argue that the majority in this generation is not looking. How can I win my friends? How can I be relatable to my friends? At the end of the day, they're driven more. I, I would argue more so by assimilation and trying not to be other um, than driven by a quest to evangelize. And so, I, but this kind of goes back to my original statement that I feel like there is a particular or a certain dichotomy, a certain two opposite truths about uh, the millennial generation that we can understand the fact that, you know, yes, God can use me powerfully under the anointing, whether I have ripped jeans on or whether I have a suit. But at the end of the day, what is our motivation for, the, for a lot of the changes that we do want to see and what we do want to do? What is our motivation for that? Because at the end of the day, there's always been a distinction between the church and the world, always. There's always been a distinction. Um, whether you take it back 50, 100 years ago, there's always been a distinction in dress. There's always been a distinction in appearance. There's always been a distinction. And yet, the saints of 100 years ago were effective in going out to street corners in a suit and winning people over that didn't look like them because they operated under an anointing. And so it, though it, it has its place in terms of, 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 um, of being relevant, I would argue and would say that that is not our motive with, with, with what we seek, the changes that we seek, especially when it comes to appearance. And um, um, as Tim was saying, when you look at these, you know, these other faiths, um, there's a different, I, I think Christianity lends itself to a liberality that other faiths don't have. That's the only reason why we can even have this discussion uh, because there's, there's such a, a broad range um, within the Christian church and, and there's such liberalities associated with this particular faith that it almost lends itself to this type of um, conversation. Whereas if you're an Orthodox Jew, you have nothing but the Tanakh to go on. That's it. Um, but I, I think when, if we assess our motives, a, a lot of it, if we're true, if we're being honest, it is motivated by the influence of the world and the church. It, it is a lot of what we're doing. A lot of, um, you know, I, I came up in church. You know, we, uh, there was a strict a prohibition against secular music. Now, no such thing anymore, and it's an infiltration on. It's not so much a well, you're free to worship and still do this. It's more so. It's just the world's influence that has taken a hold in the church. And our motives are not driven um, by, you know, what's going to be effective in witness. It's driven by what's comfortable for us and what 
required? What, what can we get away with? What can I do to be saved but give up as little as possible? Wow. Wow. I agree with that, but at the same time, I think with, with young people, because everything is so accessible to them, like the internet, and the reality is there's nothing new under the sun. So our parents and the generations prior to us were dealing with some of the same things we were, we're dealing with now. It just may seem like it's a lot more. And it's because of social media and it's because of the news. And so it's all in your face as opposed to it kind of being hidden um, behind closed doors. And I think with young people, they need to know that, one, I can trust you and ask you a question. And I think if we would open up the door for conversation, then we could explain why there should be a difference. Because sometimes it's kind of like, well, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. And then I can't even tell you, you know, hey, well, I kind of like it. And then you can explain to me, well, this deals with your heart, deals with, with what's in your heart and a relationship with Christ. I think we have to open up an opportunity to really explain salvation and what it looks like. I mean, it can't just be a Sunday morning service. It has to be a follow-up, a little more one-on-one. -on -one, you know what I'm saying? And I think that that's what they desire. I think there's a lot that was said that I wanted to respond to. Um, and even the scriptures that you chose, that's the route I was going initially. I wanted to say that. But um, in response to that, what I would say is that the millennial church, and I, I started off by saying I called you actually earlier because I was like, I'm not comfortable with the title um, because that's not something I associated myself with or as. But I think that um, the, millennial, the millennial church actually um, has to have a pastor. And I think that a lot of these young people, not here obviously, we're in a church service, a church, but a lot of them, they're not submitted anywhere to get any answers. And I think some of them, they really don't care to ask questions. Because I would say that maybe older pastors may be more, you know, starch in what they're saying and not um, give any answers. But there's a lot of young leaders who will answer questions, who are even in churches, um, that will give you the information that's necessary and not push your question to the side. Um, but again, if you go to a lot of services where there's a lot of young people gathering, especially, for example, on a Saturday night, those same young people, a lot of them, now maybe paint with a broad brush to some, but a lot of them are not found in a church on a Sunday. So I think that, you know, it, it shifts whereas they are not accountable because they don't go anywhere and they've become their own pastors. So now they inadvertently, they answer their own questions and a lot of their answers are not based on always a Google search. Um, some of their answers are based on their popular preacher. So who's popular in the time and what that preacher is saying. Now, it might not always be that the preacher is saying something wrong that they might be listening to, but that might fit the culture where they're at and it goes over there. Um, however, sometimes we, are, we gravitate toward preaching that um, pacifies me and my sin. So I think that we have to be very careful in that as well, because if I have no pastor to correct me and, and really deal with me, then I'm left to my own vices. And I think that that's when we become an enemy unto ourselves as a generation, because there's nobody who can sit me down, so to speak. I'm not saying that in the church sense of being sat down, but just to sit me down 
and deal with me where I'm at, deal with my questions, deal with my curiosities, and, and then even we can come to the table and reason, whereas certain things you say that's wrong may not be. And um, for example, real quick, um, when I was growing up, grew up in a Pentecostal church, a Colgic church, women did not wear pants in church. We understood that, right? That you didn't wear it. And I was the one in my church who changed that for the females because they would, if anybody know you come to rehearsal, then if you got pants on because you came from school, you better have a skirt in that bag. So, and I'm like, why? This doesn't make sense to me. And then there was a young girl when I did a um, youth service, but it was a community youth service. She was pregnant, obviously out of wedlock, but my question to my mom was, if she's young, wasn't in church, wants to sing on the choir, and she's pregnant, why should I shun her and turn her away? And I became that change in the church concerning certain things. However, there was still a standard um, that I had to teach beyond that, but there were certain things that I said, this just doesn't make sense. And then they begin to realize, well, what's, what rules are just really need to go away because it's turning people away, but going away with that rule or throwing that rule out doesn't mean that we're compromising Christ. And that's where I think we have to get to what rules are just our rules and what rules need to remain in place because that's the thing that compromises. Right. You know, one thing you said that's really important, let's touch on it, is you said, what are we doing that turns people away? Um, what if it's not that we, want, we don't want to be pastored, but what if they don't come to the church? They have to be attracted to the church to be pastored. I'm just not going to just be pastored in the street. There needs to be something about the church that says, this is what I need. And I think that's the part. And by the way, millennial is just an age group. It's, I don't mean it to be a belief, so don't, don't get it confused. It just speaks to um, the next generation of the church. That's what the age group is. It, I mean, it wasn't for the seniors or the children. It was for the people that are going to be in charge of the church within the next couple of years. That's what I meant by millennial. Um, but what are we doing? Should we be doing things to attract people to the church. It goes back to what uh, Pastor Sandy says about, about lifting the name of Jesus. But is that, a, like, what are, we, what are we doing about attracting? Or should we even be attracting people to the church? Um, I, okay, that's there's layers to that. Um, one, um, one, yes and no. Yes, in terms of the fact that, of course, you know, like, you know, Jesus teaches us himself that if he be lifted, he'll draw. So of course we we should be attracting people to the church. There should be any any thriving church. There should be healthy evangelism. There should be, you should be looking to be increasing and not just increasing because a bunch of people left that church and joined this church because that's not really increase. That's not really you know um, that's just a bunch of people left there and came here. Yeah, that you know that's you, you just change. Yeah. So um, the the goal should be that somebody come up off those streets that didn't exactly. know Christ before. Exactly. Um, my own testimony is I'm one of those. I didn't. I wasn't born and raised in church. I didn't grow up in church as a as a from from a baby. I had, you know, um, so um, that that's the church should be yes attracting people that way, but not with what I see a lot is gimmicks, and um, and 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 some of the aesthetics in church is nice, like you know, it, it, but that's not the draw, because there's no substance to that, and there's no. Uh, and if with the truth be told, a lot of us have light shows. We're turning out the lights. We got fog machines. They're sliding boards into the pool. That's how we're baptizing people now. Like, it's all, it's a whole circus in church now. Um, it's, you can find, I'm telling you, you can find it anywhere. And the people are doing these things. You have where they're, you know, it is now, you know, co uh, coffee and donut time. And we have all these things. 
and the stats show they're still not coming to church. So at the end of the day, um, yes, it should be a draw, but it, the draw at the end of the day, the crux of the draw should be the gospel. The crux of the draw should be power and demonstration. The crux of the draw should be the fact that you are showing love, and it is your love that is drawing people. But the gimmicks, you can, it, it, it's, it only lasts for a season. As long as you're hot and you're popping, but as soon as the next church gets something even better and they're flying somebody in or somebody is ascending out of the pulpit and, is, and the fan is blowing their head, then they're going to all run over there because you've taught them to go after what's popping and not the substance. Um, and then the other thing, and I'm, I'm going to wrap it up, but the other thing in terms of getting them to come is some of it is um, the fact that there's so many options for this generation nowadays. You can sit at home and YouTube your favorite preacher. You can go, you don't have to go to church. Your church is live on Facebook. So if you don't feel like actually getting up out of the bed and getting dressed and being actually physically connected with the saints of God, we have so many options now that you don't really have to. And we've and there used to be there used to be that thought in the church or that idea in church that there was something about coming together to touch and agree and about being physically present. And we've kind of lost that in this generation because it is so uh, virtual and so used to virtual contact and so used to virtual relationship has no problem with not coming into the building but sitting in their bed and watching on Facebook Live and as long as they get a song that touched them or a word that they can maybe you know quote on Facebook a couple of times, they're good with that. So that th there's, there's a hump that we have to overcome with that, with instilling the value in actually coming to touch and agree and be a part and be accountable. I, I love what he said about the entertainment aspect, because um, like you said, whatever you use to attract, you're going to have to use to sustain it, right? Yeah. So if I use entertainment to draw you, I can't get boring. I got to keep finding something else to keep you interested or keep you entertained, um, and that becomes expensive, right? So I think that um, there's one thing I realize people value more than being entertained, and that's being empowered. When you empower people, they want to come. They want to belong to something where they are being empowered. And so I feel like that's one of the things that we have to um, exalt in this day and hour, the restoration of all the, of the priesthood in the church where everyone understands their importance, their significance, their worth, and what they get to contribute. Uh, millennials don't want to just come to church and just sit and go home. They want something to do. They want to be true. empowered. You it's know very what I mean? true. And it, uh, for me, I go back, I say Jesus because I go back to the Gospels and I look at how Jesus raised up his disciples. Like the people he drew, he didn't just, and he drew crowds, but he didn't really, he didn't care about the crowd he was attracting as much as he cared about the few that he could empower. And as he developed them, trained them, sent them out, those people are the ones who went out and changed the world. And so I think that um, in the church, we have to, um, get back to the place of empowering people. And number two, um, the, the millennial generation, church and in the church, statistics prove that we're like the, they're like the most connected, but the least disconnected at the same time. Whereas it's like we have access to so many people, but loneliness is at an all-time high. Yes, yes. How yes. is that possible, right? Yes. When we got friends following us and friends that we can reach out to every single day, every second of the day. But yet we feel we don't feel that genuine connection 
And I feel like this is one of the greatest opportunities for the church to reach people because the fellowship and the ability that we have to be able to create an environment where anyone can come and belong. Like the message of Christ is that he died for this everybody. So why is it that everybody don't feel like they can come and right. connect? What's blocking them? What's stopping them? That's the questions I have. And right. I feel like anything that's going to be a hindrance or a roadblock that's preventing people from being able to access Christ, we need to get that out the way. And that's the hard part because it's like that goes back to the whole culture over Jesus thing. Am I going to value my dress code more than an opportunity for somebody to experience Jesus? Yeah, I, I think my, my frustration is right where you are, is, is the issue in the, the highlight of the church should be Jesus. Um, Bishop used to always say to us, um, if you lined five Muslims up, five Catholic, five Buddhist, Hindu, they would all be able to stand flat-footed and declare what they believe. But if you gathered five Christian young people in this room right now, they would be stuttering, it would be stammering, it would be confusion. They would tell you, we can't wear skirts, we can't wear hats. Nothing to do with Jesus. Nothing to do. And I get it. I get that we have to have protocol and procedure in place. But my, my issue is we got to package Jesus so that's something that people want. I use the example with Fresh Fire all the time. If you go into the supermarket and there's three boxes of cereal left, one is open, one is damaged, and one is fine, which one are you going to pick to take home? The one that's fine. And we're not packaging Jesus right, and we expect for people to still pick him. Why am I believing in your Jesus, and you walking past me not speaking? You have your robe, you got your hymnal, but you ain't loving me. You're not speaking to me. You know what I mean? And I think that's the biggest issue that we're having in the churches is there is no consistency. It's not the lights, and it's not the fog machines. It's the lack of love. It's a lack of, of uh, we, be, we sit next to people and they're bleeding and they're weak and they're crying and you have no idea. You'll never take the moment to reach over and touch them because they have ripped jeans on or because they have blue lipstick on in church. I, I think that the, the vision needs to shift back to, back to what you said. We got to go back to focusing on Jesus. Um, I am one of my biggest flaws, and I love my pastor so much because she has this gift where she can be in the middle and see things both ways. She can connect with the older generation, older, that's not an offensive, right? The elder generation, and she has this ability to be able to connect with the youthful generation. Me, I'm, I'm not there yet, and it's a flaw. I, I'm, I'm not telling you this as, oh, it's, it's, it's cute. I mean, it's a flaw of, of my leadership is I only see things progressively. And it bothers me to, to, to see people who feel like the, the music is too loud so they won't worship. Because I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I don't want the young people, I don't want the next generation to be, to be stifled because we have a generation that just won't worship because the music is too loud. Or because the lights are too, too low. Like, like, where's Jesus? Is he still the same with the lights on or off? Is there a difference to him if, if we come with jeans on? And, and I'm frustrated with that. Extremely. I'm sorry? I have a big mouth. I'm sorry. That's why he got me here. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I, isn't it the same thing in reverse? Don't we do the same thing? If they, they come out with some, some hymn or something and, and it's very old school, we disconnect. I, do you guys think that's true? I don't think so at all. Naya, what you think? 
I don't, I don't. Okay. I think that that depends on the culture of the house. Because if I'm coming in, if I'm coming in here and I've never been here and I've never heard of him and I've been at a church where we didn't do that, I might just disconnect because I don't know it. So I think, yeah, because I don't know. And sometimes what change is uncomfortable for people. We, We tend to run away from something that we don't understand. And we automatically look at it as it being wrong and it's just because you don't know. But if I'm not open-minded enough to embrace it, and that's where I think that disconnect comes from um, millennials and those that are older, because you just don't know. It, sometimes the lights off makes it more intimate for me. It may scare you, but it's about intimacy. <laughs> I'm just being honest. If we just gonna be honest. <laughs> so I like the lights off, you like the lights on, but we're doing the same thing. But if I can just tell you why I like it like that, maybe, you know, you might understand and we can come to an agreement so maybe for 10 minutes we turn the lights off and then for 10 other minutes we turn the lights on. And, and that's where we gotta come together. That's why Elijah is important to Elisha. And so I gotta feel comfortable with you and not afraid of you, but I gotta still respect you because you've been here longer than I've been here. And, and I really think um, that negative light is on us because we lack respect. And it's only but respect on both ends. Because just like I got to respect you, please respect me. Amen? And I, and I really hope that we can, and it's a way to tell someone older than you, that kind of hurt my feelings. Or I think we get an attitude so quickly, and so then we mess up the opportunity to come together. And so communication is key. With love and kindness have I drawn the end. So I'm going to be quiet because you were talking about the fruits of the spirit, but we lack the fruit when we're dealing with one another. So now I can't receive from you because you were not kind. You were not gentle. You were not um, long-suffering with me. You didn't show love towards me. Right. And so I think we have to exist. But you dress for church. But you dress for church. And, and you, so You're a big tithe player, but you're not speaking to people. You're not loving nobody. You, right. Yeah. And so that's where we become self-righteous. And that's why you have, like I said, I deal with this with my parents all the time. You got a lot of people, you've been serving the Lord for 40 years, but you've been in the same apartment. I'm confused. This generation wants evidence. They want to see progression. So my God says that I'm going to live a life and life more abundantly. Show me your abundance. And you can't sell me something that you don't really believe and that you haven't had no real proof. Okay, I'm done. So, Court, do you have something? I think that's an excellent point. Tim, do you have something? I think this is the most sensitive generation because it seems like the church is the only group of people that feel like they got to accommodate for everybody because if you really need a knee and you hurt physically, you don't go to the hospital and say, well, is this doctor safe? Um, how many years he's been a heart surgeon? You go say, I need help. I'm at this hospital. You ain't looking on the ground. You ain't saying, do they got a live band in here? Where the praise singers at? <laughs> you go to that hospital and you say, this is what I need. Everybody in the hospital ain't saved. Everybody in the hospital don't have your issues. And so when we deal with empowerment, I'm going to be honest, the real issue with this generation is we're not empowering people with the Holy Ghost. Not trying to have a church moment, but 
we don't even really see altar calls no more. We see a bunch of worship um, experiences, but when I look at it, I, I be grieved because I'm in my mind like, this ain't really real worship. This is what the Bible calls a form of godliness because I don't really don't see a renewal of mind. I see a moment where the supplement, church becomes a, a temporary supplement for an issue for the moment. But when they leave, they leave the same way, and then we bring them back, and that's when we got all these programs, we got all these outreaches, and now the new minister of the gospel is the life coach. Don't call him bishop because that's going. The world ain't attracted to that. Don't call him an apostle because the world ain't attracted to that. So now we lose our dem, our um, identity to accommodate the world. That's why I asked in the beginning, who is y'all? Why do the church now have to switch because y'all feel a certain type of way? It's quiet. It's quiet. What, what, do we, do we even, because when we say, when we say, let's teach the gospel, what's the gospel? What did Jesus teach? Y'all dealing with, oh, this, this issue here, this issue here, this issue here. How many of y'all got the Holy Ghost? And my last thing, I know people say, well, a lot of people have, have left, been in church all their life. Shame on you, because I've been in church all my life. I didn't sin, 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 did some stuff. <laughs> but my grandmother, she made sure I was at church, and she put, she built that foundation in me. And no matter how far I went out, that Holy Ghost, that that when we was, ten, I know they don't tarry no more. I know that's they don't do that stuff no more. But when we, when we got that Holy Ghost, that thing drew us back to church. No matter how far we got out there. And so I'm not saying that the church shouldn't be subject to change. But lights, camera, actions don't mean it's God. Hip-hop, God is holy. God ain't hip-hop. God is holy. We're making all these different things to accommodate what we feel this is what church is. So that's just. No, I mean, I love I think the main point in terms of how we empowering people, I think that's such a very important point as well. Uh, again, go back to Jesus. You know, that's exactly it, right? He got them filled with the Holy Ghost. After that happened, he said, I'm good. I can leave, right? I can go in any city, any nation. I don't got to worry because you got the Holy Ghost, right? And I feel like mental health is a big thing right now, right? Um, we need another some, another discussion on that alone. Um, but I feel like a part of the mental health issues that we see is that people are not experiencing the power of God for real, right? People won't agree in that. Agree with that. We're gonna say we need more psychology. We, we need more counselors. We need more of the power of God. Like we got our generations, the generations before us, who went through World War One, World War Two went through civil rights movement, discrimination, Jim Crow, and I don't think they was as, as depressed as our generation. Why? They had the Holy Ghost for real. We ain't going through three-fourths of the stuff they went through in our generation. And we got low self-esteem, we're depressed, 
we don't want to get up out of our beds. We don't want to deal with issues. And I feel like, I think like what you said is, is so important. We do got to get back to the basics. And um, that includes getting filled with the Holy Ghost for real. <laughs> I don't really think it has anything to do with environment um, because the lights are on here, right? Um, music could be playing. People could come in when they want to come in. But I think, honestly, the problem why people are leaving, like you said in the beginning, it has everything to do with representation. Um, this year was a big eye-opener for me for Christianity. I've never seen so many Christians talk about each other and, and spread other people's pain and, and start different shows and make subliminal posts and, and laugh at death, laugh at mental breakdowns, laugh at hurt, laugh at disappointments. Like what happened to, to love? What happened to covering each other? I, I've, I, I honestly believe it has everything to do with representation. I was talking to a friend of mine and she was saying, she wanted to apply for a different job. I said, well, why? Like that job, you know, you get paid a lot of money. She said, I'm bored with the position. It's not challenging me. I keep seeing the same things. I want something new. So I think this generation has that mindset. They, they want something new. And I think before, when we were growing up, we saw the same thing in church that we saw at home, and they don't. It has everything to do with representation. We could buy as many lights, we could buy as many flyers, we could post as many um, live streams, but how do you represent Christ when no one is looking? The side that you hide, are you really saved when you leave out these doors or can you come with me to the bar and, and talk about lesbianism and homosexuality and all these other things that you really didn't represent on the pulpit? But I think that that goes back to the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost came as a keeper. And so if you have the Holy Ghost, he will keep you. He'll keep your mind. He'll keep your body. He'll keep your mouth when you need to be quiet. But the foundation, as uh, Tim was saying, I don't even know if people are taking the time to build that foundation in young people and explaining to them what the Holy Ghost is. I, for a long time, I believed that you come down to the altar once you accept the Lord as your Savior. Now we take you back to the room and you got to get the second piece of it. And, and people explained it, you know. And so I think if we get the foundation piece, how many churches have Sunday school? I grew up with Sunday school, you know, and learning the books of the Bible and, and learning the stories and getting an understanding. And so that's where the foundation was built. So then I could produce good fruit. But if no one has taken the time to really um, plow into me or pour into me and, and treat me like a real garden, you know, it's, you got to take some time with the soil and build on a foundation. And then I can blossom into something and produce something. So I don't know if maybe we're missing foundational pieces because that's why we fall so quickly when our foundation is weak. We, we've had altar calls. We've had Holy Ghost. We've gotten filled. We've had Bishop lay her hands on us. We've had all that. And half those people who had that aren't here, aren't saved, aren't in anyone's church. Though? So if the issue is the Holy Ghost, if the issue is, we're those people that, that had it. So we have, there's a saying in church that we probably, you know, especially if you're cultured, you know, it, that there's one baptism, many fillings. And so just because they've received the laying on of hands and they've had that experience, there is, there, you need to be refilled. You have to actually, you have to walk this thing out. Right, exactly. It's not, and I think we have, um, we have 
in church at large. It's not just a millennial thing. We we have somehow shifted to this thing of thinking it's one and done. Yeah, that's true. You know, the, that's true. Because you fell out on the altar or because, you know, whatever your experience was, however God met you at that particular point, that this now means that everything is easy peasy from now on. And where this thing has to now be walked out. And it takes the denial of yourself. It takes the denial of your flesh. It takes coming back to God to get refilled because life will deplete you. The enemy will deplete you. And I think a lot of the things that we have left out in this generation is endurance. Yeah. We have left out of this generation of how to go not based on how you feel, but what, what your faith tells you. Yeah. I go based yeah. on what the word says, yeah. but we don't have enough word in us to even sustain us and carry us. The word that we know comes from songs. And, and, <laughs> and truth be told, we, we, we only know certain, but we don't know the, the, we don't know the word. And the word is what sustains us. The word is what keeps us. It is what the Holy Ghost will draw on, that the fountain that's already in you, the well that's already in you, he'll cause it to spring up and to right. be a remembrance to you so that even though it feels like, you know, oh, you know, this situation is going to defeat me and I feel like leaving church, it's the Holy Ghost that will cause the word to come back to your remembrance that says, oh, no, I'm more than a conqueror. You know, it's those things that I am the head and not the tail. Those are the type of things that we are missing in this church. And it kind of goes back to what, uh, what Tim was saying about accommodation. A lot of things, a lot of the, uh, of the essence of our faith, we've moved on from to accommodate the comfort of people. We have moved away from tarry because it takes too long. We've moved away from testimony because nobody wants to hear all of that. Nobody wants to do all of that. But at the end of the day, we are overcome by the word of our testimony and the blood of the lamb. But all these things we've thrown out, again, the baby with the bathwater to accommodate people. And that's why I think it's very, we have to be very cautious when we look at, okay, uh, what's going to make this new generation more comfortable? We have to be very careful with what we do to accommodate them because I think we've already suffered from accommodations and we've weakened our faith and so we have weakened subsequent generations because we've weakened the tenets and the tentacles of this faith by trying to accommodate people I think that um, that is definitely correct but I also think it's necessary to be careful whereas we to some degree we begin to place blame on the church because what happens when your church is the church does the altar call has the teachings, right. has Sunday school. Right. So now is the problem the church or is the problem the person that didn't receive it? And I think it's also very important to know that some people leave because the scripture says they were never none of one of us anyway. So we have to be careful to stop acting as if just because they were at our altar, even if it was for 10 years, that they were actually one of us. We don't know who the church is. Yeah. We don't know who's who. And our job is to just do our job. Make sure that you keep teaching. Make sure you keep having altar calls. Make sure that you make the gospel um, accessible and understandable, understandable to them on a spiritual and intellectual level. And then, listen, what happens on the inside of them after that, when you know that you were um, accountable to doing your job, and that's between them and God. And something Tim said that was, I want to jump all the way back, when he was speaking in reference to services, you know, they're out there worshiping, but there's no altar call. What I always say and what I think, people, they're out there worshiping, and like how you were saying, they're not getting anything. That's because people are starting to worship worship. And they're not really they're not really worshiping God. A lot of them like the act of worship in and of itself. I just I want to go worship. 
and that's the whole I want to you can worship at any moment. I, my life, I live a life of worship. Everything I do is an act unto God. But they have become in love with what we do in church. They're in love with the act of lifting the hand or or let's turn off the lights and let's bow and fall over. And I'm not saying there's a problem with that if it's real, but but they people have become in love with that. They've become in love. If you notice that, I mean, I love old school churchy devotional songs. I love the new school stuff as well. But a lot of this millennial church, they they like this particular music now that's more worshipy in that sense. But the question becomes why? Is it because of the content of the song or it's because of the song creates an act of doing this and that's what I've become now you know accustomed to so now we're in church where it's a worship experience and we're in the pew and we're doing a lot but as Tim said there's no altar call and the altar is not even where you're at anymore because it's not a real act of worship so I think that it goes back to it's a, a lot of a lot of this is all truth and I think it goes to knowing your people know who's in your church know who's around you know what you got to deal with and you got to be very spiritual to be able to identify that which you can't naturally if you can't naturally see that they're just performing acts but they're not really getting deeper in god then the fault at that point now lies in leadership whereas we can't see who's in front of us to know that we need to do something right. to take them deeper right. i think he's right i just asked someone today why is it that we are so impressed with, and I love these people, John Gray. Why is everybody like, oh, I got to get to Relentless? Um, and someone says to me, well, because they, their services is like an event. Every Sunday is an event. You got the lights, camera, action. I was like, well, that would make a lot of sense. And it's beautiful. I love it. But like you said, I have to wonder, after you leave that event, are you having an experience with God at home? Because you should be able to, if they shut down every church, you should be able to create an atmosphere with Christ at home. But that goes back to the relationship. And so the reality is, like you said, we can have as many altar calls, as many private Bible studies, as many classes, as many coaches, whatever. If you've never had a relationship with God after 20 years, you didn't really want to probably have a relationship with God. So we can't keep force, you know, force feeding you and, like you said, blaming the church because I'm not mad at the church and I've been here my whole life. And, and just like the world, the church has had some downfalls. The world's going to have some downfalls. Right. But God is God. Right. And at the end of the day, he died for me way back on Calvary and I'm committed to him. So if this one fall, that one fall, I know him and he knows me. So my question is, did you ever really get to know him or did you know them? Can I just add something too about worship and um, the? I think the the um, the crux of the misunderstanding, especially in this generation, is that we have made worship a sound. We have made it the emotional euphoria that you feel. It's the same thing. A lot of what we're calling worship is the same thing. If you put on a slow Shabbat song and light a candle, can can we be honest? And because you 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 it's it's, it's it, it is plucking and strumming your feelings and your emotions. But what biblical worship is, biblical worship is the act of obedience to God. Biblical worship is the submission of your will to God. And what we do and when we come together corporately and express, we are expressing something that's supposed to be taking place on the inside. 
So what we're doing on the outside is showing our love and our devotion to God, showing that we are submitted, showing that we are humble before him, showing that we are um, obedient to him and all that stuff. So it, it's, it's not about the low lights. It's not about the sound. But a lot of what real worship is, this generation can't handle because it requires denial. It requires submission. It requires obedience, and that's what real worship is. And when when you put all of that that extra stuff, you know, the hands lifted and the the bowed head and the tears and all that stuff, when that's coupled with the lifestyle and the and the life of submission and the life of God, I'm not just saying here's my heart, but on Monday when I want to curse somebody out here's my heart. When I want to be in a bed that doesn't belong to me, that's the person I'm not married to, God, here's my heart. When I want to take these drugs, God, here's my heart. When I would gossip about this person because the tea is hot and it's good, but I'm going to keep my mouth shut, is God, here's my heart. And so then I come in on Sunday morning and now I can express to God with the lights low and the tears because I've really given God my heart all week long. But because we have not, we can't even teach that because that type of, uh, of submission, we have, I think we now have a generation now that can't tolerate that. I, we can't tolerate, yes, this is a faith that says you have to give up your will. This is a faith where Jesus said, yourself, take up your own cross and follow me. This is a, 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 a faith that says I die daily. Daily I'm dying to myself. This is a, a faith that says I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, not I, but Christ in me. And so uh, we have, we have, I think we have to get back to what, what is worship? I just want to say something that you brought out, how worship deals with denial. When the woman, Jesus met the woman at the well, and she was fetching water, and he said, if you knew who I was, you, you would want what I have. And you would understand that I am the living water. And so immediately they begin to, he began to tell her about her business and how she was a, a wayward woman and who she had been. Worship deals with exposing who you are. And when you get in real worship, you realize how dirty you are. You realize how nasty you really are. And in true worship, it begins to break you down. I think we can't really worship because we don't want to deal with how dirty we are. And when we don't deal with our dirt, he can't expose to us who he is. He loves to know how nasty you are because he can clean you up. But if we keep masking it with a form of godliness, he will never be able to turn what's in you and bring it out of you. Yeah. So the importance of the millennial church, um, the importance of the next generation church, so we're not offended, is making sure that we bring them back to relationship with God making sure that we bring them back to teaching with God, making sure they understand that they are valuable to God. So even if I do choose to worship with the lights off, I still matter. Even if you don't like the lights off, I still matter to God. And I think that is one of the most important things that we've got to go back to building is empowering people not only to be preachers and to te teach and prophesy and write songs, but teach people and empower people that God loves you because love covers and if I can just remember that God loves me no matter what, then I'll get out of what I'm in. But what happens is we, the church judges you so bad that it's almost comfortable. You want to know why people are comfortable? We're comfortable because when we come to the church, we feel judged. So it's not that it, we want to make you comfortable, but we need to make sure people understand that there is a level of Christ here, that he loves you no matter what. He knows how filthy you are. He knows 
this crazy thing that happens in a generation is we really do think we're fooling God. Because, because we don't say it out loud, you think God didn't see it. And I say this all the time, is Adam was the most close with God when he was naked. It was when he sinned, all of a sudden he, he, he didn't want to be in relationship with God. He was hiding from God. He was butt naked chasing God. When he sinned, he wanted to get clothes on. So, so where are we? Why are we so afraid of being naked with God? That's what I want people to understand. It's not about the experience or the environment. Like Courtney said, it's about the heart. Because we can teach. And one of the greatest commandments in the Bible is to love. We got to love one another. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So the foundation is loving God. Because if I love God, I'll love Tim. I love Chris. I love everybody. I love those who, who don't, who offend me, who hurt me. Let's go back to teaching love. God is love. So that's not opposite. That's not, yo, you got to teach Jesus. Jesus is love. So we got to go back to teaching love. I want to see if we have any questions, at least one or two questions. Um, Pastor Bohan is here with us. We thank God for him. We thank God. Our senior pastor came in. Um, we thank God for her. Um, we're going to let you do, and I'm going to see if anyone have questions, and then we're going to do a final say, because it's already 10 o'clock. Yeah, when conversation is good. These conversations are necessary. I know there's people like, uh, please, this don't make sense. But these conversations are necessary. And the thing that was missing in our last generation is conversation. Just do what I say. Be on the quiet stand. Be where you got to be. But there was no conversation on why. There was no checking of, of the relationship. As long as we was in place, there was no checking of relationship. And a lot of us are wounded today because no one checked on us. They cared about our gifts. They mentored our gifts. They cultivated our gifts. But no one checked on us. I was bleeding and no one checked on me. And that's the biggest issue. Pastor? Um, just to add, um, I don't know if I'm going to say anything else after this, but um, one of my favorite quotes was is this. No one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Right? I remember learning that I was in college my last year before I became a teacher. Um, and I never, that never left me. It became like a, a core value of mine. Like I knew I was gonna bring in the classroom. I was, a, I was a high school teacher for a number of years. I brought that core value into my classroom and it also saved me now as a pastor. Nobody cares how much I know until they know how much I care. And I feel like that mindset is what the church needs to have yep. today yep. to be effective in the world. Yep. Businesses, church, businesses that fail, most businesses fail within the first three years. Same thing with churches that start up, they fail within the first three years. The common trend between both businesses and churches that fail is the fact that they don't know the needs of the people they're called to reach. They don't know the needs of the community. So it's like a business, if I say I got this water and I'm saying this is the best water in the world and I, this is the water I'm selling to people, if I go to a community that don't need water, right. they don't care how good my water is. Exactly. They ain't going to come and buy it. Right. The problem is if we're, if we're offering something that people don't even know they need, or if we say this is great, right? we know Jesus is the answer to everything, right. but like you talked about the packaging, it goes back to what are we, how are we offering Jesus? How are we offering Jesus? Right? If what is the world talking about? One of the most easiest ways to attract people is, all right, my church is predominantly filled with millennials. 
my most attended services and you attract the most people is either when we're talking about money or we're talking about relationships. You know why? Because that's, that's what they're talking about outside of church. And then they're interested in hearing the perspective of God on the, on the conversations they're already having outside. Okay? Okay? So they want to know what does God have to say about dating? What does God have to say about, about relationships? What does God say about how I should manage my money? Right? Does God, have an, does God have a perspective on that? Does God have an opinion on that? That's what the, the world is talking about already. When we start talking about what they're talking about and then show how the Bible is relevant to that, yeah. they'll be more interested to hear what else the Bible has to say. Right. Right? But if all I do is get up and say, you're going to hell if you don't repent, that, don't re that doesn't – we live in a generation right now where hell don't even scare them. Hell, they got movies called hell. <laughs> They'll go and see it. They're not afraid of it, right? You ain't, they wouldn't come out 40 years, 30 years ago, no. and people going to go and pay to watch that. You got movies with 666 on it. They'll go and watch it. We will run from it. <laughs> right? It's a different time. It's a different culture. The way the world, we got to know the world. We got to know the needs of the people we're going to reach. Reach them where they are. Once we reach them where they are, they'll be willing to hear what we have to say. And I feel like that's where the church has to make the adjustments. I, don't, I think they will get past the culture stuff. They'll get past all of that. But if they feel like we have a relevant word for them, Excellent. they're going to be willing to hear what we have to say. Right. And I think that's where change needs to start. Yeah. But discussions like this, I feel like you're on to something. Um, and I feel like this is what's going to draw a lot more people. It, it needs, it just needs to be had. And I knew it wouldn't be popular. I knew there would be few people who couldn't understand it. But I want to give young people the space to express what they feel. And not only be afraid of, of I don't want to be misunderstood. I don't want people to think I don't love God. Um, but I just want people to be able to express themselves. But I think it's so important that we stress caring and loving. Love God first so that you can love people. So people, I was had a situation today, and I was saying to myself, I was a little offended, and I was like, "Well, what do I got to do to?" I said, "But I'm not, I'm not going to be offended, because because they're not nice, so it's not me. We have to teach love. You can't expect people to be loving on you, and you not speaking to them. What are you doing? The Bible says, in order to be to have friends, you must show yourself friendly." And I had to do a real big ego check because I, I don't expect everybody to like you, but you still have to love everybody. You still have to love everybody. And the, the, the illumination that came to me today was, was pray about, me, about God switching their heart so that they can treat you better. You're treating them okay. It's not you. It's them. And, and, and I, was, I was like, oh, okay, um, but I still got to do and I still got to. But God kept saying to me, but it's not you, it's them. Continue to love. Now, where would be my fault is if I stopped loving on that person because of how I feel they're treating me. And that's what we do is we stop liking people because they don't like us. But that's not the commandment of God. We got to love everybody. So now I'm being charged with being the same, loving no matter what, no matter how indifferent. The Bible says in the, in the book of Luke, he says, love thy neighbor like you love yourself. How many of you know your neighbors? Can you, you know where they, their names, you know where they work, you, 
like not many people. So that means that, that God is telling us love people who have no connection to us. Love people who don't look like you. Love people who may not even like you, who may not even know your name. It is your responsibility to love. So the importance of the millennial church, the importance of the next generation church is bringing them back to the foundation of relationship with God so that we can love better, so that we can worship freely, so that we can praise, so that we can give. All this stuff is tied in together. What am I, what am I giving to a God that I don't love? Why am I worshiping a God I, I, I've never taken the time to understand? And you know what draws us, uh, what turns us off from loving God or knowing God? It's the church has fooled us to believing that our sins have, have caused them to not like us. What I mean by that is you are crazy if you think that what you did has changed God's mind about you. Because he knew you would do it when he died. Doesn't mean that we have to continue to stay in the sin. But we got to be constantly remem remember that he loved me and knew I was going to do this. Let me get out of this. I can't stay here because he loved me and he made the ultimate sacrifice for me to get up. So, so don't be complacent with your hurt. Don't be complacent with the rumors. Don't be complacent. Know that there's a God that loves you and is willing and ready to clean you up and make you better. We expect people to come to the church already fixed. It's like going to a hospital. I got shot. I'm going to a hospital. They're like, well, why you ain't pack? Why you ain't bandaged yourself up? What? Because I, I don't know how. That's why I'm here. And that's what the church is for. It's to bandage people up. Anyone have questions? Yes. Um, sort of like a twofold question. Pastor Samuel, you said something, and Sister Christian, you said something um, about empowering. How do um, young people or millennials or the next generation coming up, how do they identify their gifts and how do they understand their purpose? Um, I think a lot of times they find it later on in life that I've learned around some people my age. So they may be in their 30s and they just now figuring it out. And some of the younger people may have catch it on a little earlier. So how do they find their gift, number one? Um, can it be identified by them, or do they need a leader to identify it for them? And how do they understand their purpose? And with Sister Christian, if you could touch on after that, you spoke about Elisha and Elijah um, being important to each other. Um, how do they go about mentorship? Is it something that they can, do they go to people? Should people be going to them? Is it something they should wait on God for? So if you can touch it personally, you can touch it after. Yeah. All right, real quick, uh, so empowerment is responsibility. Um, you give people responsibility. So if you want to discover your gift, and, and if you don't know what I'm, what I'm gifted at, called to do, so what? I feel like once you give people responsibility and work, they begin to discover what they're good at. Like you don't just sit around in church. That's why we come to serve. Part worship is part of serving, right? So, or serving is part of worship. So I feel like when you, when you empower people by giving them responsibility, I can't, before I knew I was called to do what I'm doing right now, I was at uh, one point the janitor in my church. I was a musician in my church. I drove the van a few times. <laughs> I did a bunch of stuff. And I, I didn't know I would end up being a pastor. But everything that I did, it was like God preparing me for where I was now. And so I feel like the joy of serving needs to be taught and giving people the opportunity. Like serving is not a duty or chore, it's a response. It's, it's an opportunity 
it's a privilege. And as you get a chance to serve in the house of God, you actually begin to discover your gifts. I know a number of people who just said it was through serving, through helping. Like, I know, I know guys that are professional photographers right now who started just by taking pictures in church, right? And that you, don't, you get to practice in church in ways you don't get to practice anywhere else in the world. You can come to the house of God. You can big play around on the drums until you learn how to play. You can't go anywhere else and do that. And so I think the church is the, is, the, is the best place to develop your gifts and without the pressure of failing or losing money because you out and, and, you know, trying to do <laughs> take somebody's photos on a wedding day and ruining it. And you never want you banned from taking pictures anywhere else. <laughs> so a church is the best place to learn your gifts and callings and purpose. I think serving is, is not a spotlight. So we got to, like, make sure we understand that. It's like when you serve, sometimes people don't even know you serve. Nobody knows you shovel the snow. And you got to be okay with that. Don't shovel the snow and send a text message, a mass text, like, yo, I just shoveled the church. <laughs> you, you ain't serving. You're trying to get a crowd. You know what I mean? So I think that, that's excellent. That's one thing that the, that the next generation, they don't do. Is there ain't a whole lot of serving going on. I remember I used to count it a privilege when Bishop would say to me, Yo, come take a ride with me. And we wouldn't even do nothing. We would go to the light store. And I'm like, Bishop, this ain't no light. This ain't no ride. It's a... but, but I realized that it was part of me serving. It was part of me. I, I vacuumed the floors. I took naps in the church when pastor wasn't looking. But you know what I mean? Like, I was here. And that's the thing that we're missing is we, we don't want, we want the gifts, but we don't want to be present to receive the gifts. And we're just not here. Go, Chris. Um, mentorship. I think that it's a two, a twofold opportunity. So if I want something, you have. Elijah told Elisha said to Elijah, "I want a double portion." And because he wanted it, he stayed with him. And so I think you have to obviously, if you desire to be a singer or a worship leader in church, then you should connect with the worship leader. And then you try to form a, some type of bond and you start learning because there's some things that are better caught than taught. And if you just stick around someone, you watch them and you learn from them and you glean from them, then they begin to take you under their wing. Um, the other piece to that is I do believe your leader can see things in you that you may not even see. Um, and so it is true that they can identify your gifts and they should connect you with someone because I said earlier, there's nothing new under the sun. The older people are necessary. Uh, Joshua needed Moses. And when Moses' time was up, Joshua, when Moses died, he didn't even have time to really cry. He had to get those people across. But it took time. It took him serving and, and, and um, Moses taking him under the, his wing. So, yes, go to somebody and don't be afraid. And if they reject you, it's somebody else. So I think if you want it, find someone that exemplifies the characteristics or who's already operating um, in the gift. I'll share with this. I was speaking to Naya, and she was telling me that she's between nursing and education. And my um, advice to her was, well, just ask Minister Email, could you work part-time with God's gift? So now you can determine, do I really want to be a teacher? I need to start working with the kids. I need to practice teaching them things. This is the best training ground. And you may find out after three months of working with kids, the Lord did not call you to teach. You don't know. And so you have to try it out. So look for an opportunity to do that thing that you may desire to do. And be willing to invest because church is the greatest deal in town. And what I mean by that, church is the only place where you can get padded seats, 
lights, air condition, heat, live praise and worship, singers, microphones, bass players, keyboard players. Then you get you a speaker that will get up and call fire down from heaven and preach for 45 minutes, bury the dead, pray for your babies, counsel you for a dollar. Church is the only place you can get all of that and you're not even obligated to give with all these issues y'all are saying. So be able to say, well, we, gonna have, we need some mentoring classes, so invest in a mentor, some mentors. Church is the only place everybody wants everything for free. I'm not saying that salvation is free, but the gospel costs with you know, ministry. It costs. So be willing to invest and, and just, just walk around with your hand out and just say, just give me, give me, give me, give me. And, and what he said, because what you get is valuable. There are some lessons that you can't go anywhere else and get that you do get in church. You learn how to be on time. If you want to minister, there are some places that if you don't get there on time, you're not getting up on here to show us what you could do. And this is your first opportunity to learn the importance of being on time. This is your first opportunity to learn submission. When somebody tells you to go do something, you don't talk back. Just do it. Learn submission. That's excellent. Are there any other questions in the house? Yes, ma'am. It's for the live stream, though. Okay. What is the true meaning, meaning of millennium? I'm hearing that word. Where did it come from, and what does it mean? I'm old school. That's what I'm saying. Um, uh, it's usually they um, uh, usually by advertisers. They um, like to advertise to a particular demographic, so they're the ones that define uh, what a uh, what each generation is, and depending upon which which um, uh, person you believe, um, the, those who are millennial born between 1980 to, uh, I think, 96. So those, right. So like you have the generation of the baby boomers who were born in the, the late, after World War II, through the 50s, and yeah, then you right. have generational X that was born in the 60s and 70s, the millennials born in the 80s and 90s. It's just a word, it's just a label. Yeah, just a label to define a certain age group. So those, so if we're saying millennial church, we would say those members of the church who were born between the year of 1980 through 1996. And just to say within that age group, there are different characteristics that, that those age groups possess. Right. So like the baby boomer generation has a different mindset than the millennial generation. So the baby boomer generation, for example, uh, hard workers, um, longevity, like they stay on one job for 40 years. Whereas millennials, they say by the time they're 26, I have about three or four different jobs. <laughs> so own businesses. So it's a different mindset, different, different um, perspective, work ethic, everything. Because, because we're, we're we in the church, we have people who are 18 to 35. So that means that because you're in a certain age bracket, you are considered a millennial. 
because so, of your age. So I would say it fits in with the church because because of your age group, you have different perspectives. We have a different mind. Those of us uh, who are millennial, we may have a different mindset than um, the baby boomers. Baby boomers were pretty much raised. You don't ask questions. You did what your mother said. There was no kind of back talk. There was no kind of she didn't give you a reason why to do it. She just told you to do it. And you said, yes, ma'am. Um, and the millennial generation, um, because we are exposed to inf so much information, we expect answers or we expect reasoning. Uh, uh, um, you're, you're not as likely to get uh, an effective result from a millennial just telling them to do it. You're better off getting, telling them why you're asking them to do what you want them to do um, so that they can have some kind of understanding and context and then they can readily do, you know. So that's, the, that's how it fits in with the church. Um, because you have these different perspectives, and sometimes there's a clash because of that. Yes, last question, and we got to go. <laughs> um, I think when we ask why, I hope it's not in a rebellious manner. It's just sometimes we got to know, when you tell us to do something, we kind of want to know the consequences of what you're telling us. Like, are you sure you really want me to do this? Does it work for me? So Why? So if I fall, I know that's why. So be just curious. It's not rebellion. So are we wrong for that, for asking why? Or like, oh, okay. They're not rebellious. They're just curious. They want to know. Well, we used to get smacked in our face for being curious. <laughs> we used to, curiosity killed the cat. Yeah, we, we didn't play that. But but I'm all for it. I, I love, I love conversation with the young people. I love them not just like, I'm not saying not listening, but I love them wanting to get clarity about the stuff because it shows their interest. If they just do it, then that's why a lot of us haven't last because we did and didn't ask why. We didn't know why we did it. But if you ask why and we show them the importance of something, it'll stick. You know what I mean? Um, any other questions? Pastor Vincent, you want to say something? You good? Pastor Crow? I didn't hear you. Yes? No? Um, any other questions or anything? <laughs> All right, I'm going to give you our last say. Um, Andre, you didn't text me. What, what we, yes. Okay. So we're going to, everyone's going to get a last say. Keep it, keep it short. You. Um, and um, then we'll do an offering and we're going to bounce. All right, the mic's there. Thank you, guys. Just the last say. Whatever you want to, your last, your last word. Your benediction. My last say. Benediction? <laughs> no, no, just, just your last say. Why well, do you want to wrap it up? Oh. <laughs> um, I just love Jesus. <laughs> Fall in love with Jesus again. Um, go back in the Gospels and actually read the Gospels and just compare, like, what is, how much of what we're doing in church aligns with what Jesus actually did and what he actually taught his disciples to do. I feel like once we do that, a lot of these questions... Finding more answers for fall in love with Jesus. That makes sense, right? That's for everybody. That's not just for eighteen to thirty-six year olds. Fall in love with Jesus. Um, I guess yeah. I pick it back on. I love God. I love the Church of Jesus Christ. Um, I just um, I don't want us to be intimidated to have conversations like this or right. to be intimidated by what we see, um, as opposed to popular rhetoric. The church is not going anywhere. Um, we're not dying. Um, we're just changing. Don't be intimidated by conversations. 
we're in a day and age where we welcome conversation because even if I don't know it, it now pushes me as a leader to go find out. And now I got to study more. I got to get before the face of God more. So don't be intimidated by conversations. That's excellent. Yeah, um, I would say, especially to youth and young adults, um, stay with Christ, especially in this time where as we're offered so many different things, like as we've said through the stream of media and, you know, everything is more accessible than years before that can offer you something that seems to be better than what it is that you're getting. But I would say stay with Christ and develop your relationship with him so that way you'll understand that what you got is literally all that you need. Stay with Christ. Excellent. Um, there was a song put out called I Need You to Survive by Hezekiah Walker, and I think that that's important. After we love God, we still need one another. And so I say to the baby boomers, to those who came before us, we really need you. And you need us because we got to open the doors for you still. And you still got to teach us how to cook, how to be better mothers, right. how to be better sisters, right. how to be better fathers. That's right. And so I want to encourage, I'm just saying, because you have something that I want. And I have something that you want because you may not know how to log into your email. So I got to help you. So... I just want to encourage our young people and our seasoned saints to know that we need one another to survive. We need each other. That's, that's real serious. Um, I would say let's just ignite our desire to get back to Jesus. Um, no hurt, no disappointment, no negative experience from someone in the church, negative experience with the pastor can ever, ever, ever represent God's love for you. Um, just get back to him. That's, that's where it is. That's where it's at. <laughs> Don't let anything steal your relationship with God. No relationship with man should interfere with your relationship with Christ. So no matter how they treat you, Christ ain't done nothing to you. The church ain't done nothing to you. Because the church takes a lot of blame for a lot of people. Um, but it's not the church issue. It's, it's your issue. Tim. Man. <laughs> All I want to say is... Um, Release the pressure of thinking or believing that you're assigned to all. The beauty of being Christians is we're built of many different believers with different styles. So you're not responsible to win all souls. All right? Put, your put yourself in a place as servant. Let God, you ain't God. You're not God. So I'm trying to save this soul, trying to save this soul. No. Everybody, everybody's not going to want to do your thing. Everybody's not going to want, want to come to your whoever, whatever church and say, you know, this is the type of worship I want. They're not going to be accustomed to this type of style and dress. So you're not going to take that pressure off of you and believe in that that's your assignment. God will put those that you're assigned to in your view. You don't have to keep going on the outside. And listen, don't be so uh, personality driven. Because that's why a lot of what we, we see today, y'all see thousands and thousands of people following different personalities. But sometimes, if you ever notice, when that personality fall, the people fall. Because what you win them with is what you win them to. What you win them with is what you win them to. So a lot of people, they're winning people to themselves rather than leading people to Christ. 
All right? So take that pressure off and thinking you got you you are the church. You this is this is our thing and if they ain't doing it our way, well ain't nobody saved or they don't want to come and you know, take the pressure off and say, "You know what? I know what y'all doing down there. They don't like what we doing. Let them go down there. This ain't kingdom competition." We ain't in competition to see who can win. Well, we got we we, we brought two thousand in. How many souls y'all bring in? Yeah. Because I'd rather be responsible of two souls rather than two thousand folk ain't 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 saved. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Did I talk more than everybody else? Amen. Can we give our panel a round of applause, please? Amen. Thank you guys for sticking with me. Thank you guys for being here tonight. Um, we're going to take an offering right quick. Um, I'm asking that you get the best gift you can in your hand. Support the ministry. Um, 